since I've transitioned and I've presented more masculine, I've um, been on the receiving end of a lot of hate words, you know, hateful words. So verbal aggression, derogatory terms yelled at me with, you know, somebody driving by in a pickup truck, pointing their, their hand like a gun at me saying, die. People up in my face asking me if I'm an effing man or woman, you know, so there are times like that where I obviously don't feel safe. It's just that I never know when I'm going to encounter somebody, you know, who steps over the line so far with aggression that I just don't know what they're next, where they're going to stop. Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. I'm Carolyn DeRosier. That voice you just heard was Zephyr Kinzerski, talking about the challenges of feeling like an outsider while outside in our communities. Here in the Fox Valley region, thanks to our abundant natural resources and careful stewardship, there are lots of opportunities to experience the outdoors, whether that be biking, hiking, canoeing, snowshoeing, and so much more. But our listeners might be surprised to learn that not every member of our community feels safe or welcomed in our outdoor spaces, especially people who are considered historically marginalized, such as people of color, people who speak different languages, people with disabilities, and people who identify as LGBTQ+. In this episode, we're going to learn more about why not everyone has the same access to positive outdoor experiences and what's being done about it. Joining us in the co-host chair today is Kyle Armstrong, our newest member of the Community Foundation staff. Kyle comes to us having spent the summer working to better understand the state of outdoor inclusion in the Fox Cities. He was actually the leader of the Inclusion in the Outdoors initiative, a project the foundation played a key role in creating and that Kyle is continuing to lead today. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Carolyn. You know, it's amazing that I've gone from learning that this podcast exists to co-hosting it in the span of three weeks. Uh, I should introduce myself a bit. I'm a lifelong Nina farm boy who wandered off a bit before returning and, as you said, um, served as an AmeriCorps member researching how the Fox Cities can better include BIPOC, that's Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, and LGBTQ lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people in outdoor spaces and activities. And I've continued that work even as I've started this new job as community engagement coordinator working with you at the foundation. And it's appropriate that we're co-hosting this episode because you've played such a big part in nurturing this project. Well, thanks, Kyle. I'm so thrilled that you chose to join our team. And I have to say, it's been eye-opening to be a part of this project. Listeners, before we come back to the voices of community, I'm actually going to ask Kyle a few questions about what he learned researching the issue of inclusion in the outdoors. So Kyle, can you summarize what that research looked like and what some of your biggest takeaways were? Yeah, so Inclusion in the Outdoors was organized as a project th with an AmeriCorps grant, and it was hosted at the Brigade in Nina. Um, the main question that I was tasked with answering was, why do members of marginalized groups, including BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and folks with disabilities, utilize outdoor spaces and partake in outdoor activities less than the general population? And I tried to answer that question through uh, interviews, focus groups, and a survey. And, and I should back up and say that I really came into this project with very little formal experience in research or in diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And so much like many people in the last few years, my journey of getting started was at the ground floor. I had a lot to learn about 
the experience of being black or brown in the U.S. And even though I am a gay man, I felt that I likewise had a lot to learn about queer and trans experiences. Um, and so some of my takeaways involve just the totality of prejudice in this country and the impact that that has on people, coupled with some surprises among the overlooked stories of people who defied and, and are still defying those odds to find joy and success in the outdoors. More specifically to the project, uh, there are a few big takeaways. One is that cultural narratives shape how we interact with the world. If you're told over and over again through education and advertising that outdoor spaces are dangerous or that parks belong to other people or that you're not the type of person who should be hiking, well, you're probably going to develop other interests or stay indoors. And that sounds intuitive, but those narratives often go unchallenged until we step back and look for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you give an example of one of those narratives? Well, take a moment to imagine an outdoorsy person in your mind. Perhaps you've pictured a white man and a masculine, able-bodied one at that, because that's the kind of person our country has included in narratives of outdoor spaces over the years. Think of Paul Bunyan, cowboy movies, famous conservationists, or old L.L. Bean catalogs. Another takeaway is that safety is a critical concern for people from marginalized groups. It's been disheartening to hear black and brown and queer and trans people tell me their constant fears of being harassed or worse and the lengths they go to to avoid what they perceive as dangerous places or situations. Uh, a black man told me he doesn't get out of his car in rural towns for fear of being profiled. A trans woman told me she always keeps a knife with her when camping to defend against transphobic assailants. And when we listen to their experiences and look at the history of oppression in this country, we see that they have good reasons for those fears. It's really heartbreaking to hear. You know, it certainly struck me during our interviews for this episode that as a white woman who grew up here, I have the luxury of stepping out into so many spaces without having to anticipate harm that might come to me. And I just imagine it's very mentally taxing to always have to think about whether you're going to be safe or not where you're going. So one of the things we're going to hear today in our interviews is that the outdoor experiences of people from any one group are not all the same. That being said, from your research, we do see some patterns amongst different identity groups that we should be paying attention to. So what were some of those patterns that you saw? I had over 100 people from around the valley respond to my survey and share their experiences. And within those responses, there were some striking disparities. The headline finding for me is that white respondents were twice as likely to do outdoor activities 11 or more days a month, while BIPOC, again, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, were twice as likely to do outdoor activities five or fewer days a month. BIPOC respondents were also more likely to do fewer types of activities and visit fewer outdoor locations than white respondents. That suggests to me that there are factors out there that are driving big differences in how often people of different races are doing outdoor activities. Mm. I can think of so many more questions for you, Kyle, but let's take a moment to hear more from Zephyr Kinzerski, Public Services Assistant Supervisor at the Appleton Public Library, to talk about their life experiences as well as their role in inclusion in the outdoors. Welcome, Zephyr, to the podcast. We're so glad to have you on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Carolyn. I am Zephyr Kinzerski. I grew up in Milwaukee, lived there till I was 21. And then in the late 80s, I moved up here and lived here for six years. 
um, then went to school in Las Cruces, New Mexico, was there for six years, lived in Austin, worked there for three, and then moved back up here in 2003. So I've been here about 19 years this time around, um, and I think a total of about 25 years altogether. Seen a lot of changes in the Fox Cities. It's part of what um, really wanted, it made me want to come back. I also work at Appleton Public Library. I've been there for about three years uh, in public services, so I have a very public-facing role. Um, get to work with a really diverse cross-section of our community. Really love that. It was really um, before that I'd worked at Goodwill for 12 and a half years, and I was behind a desk a lot. And my favorite times were when I could get out into the stores and be with people. Um, and so I really wanted to make a change a few years back, um, get really much more connected with our community. And it has been just absolutely wonderful. Before that, I was with Theta Care for three years. So really the last 19 years of my life have been um, really committed to community care, roles, you know, in the community where I'm caring for community. I've also been a lifelong volunteer. I love, I mean, I can remember as a second grader volunteering for the first time and it just feeling every cell in my body go zing <laughs> um, and just loving that. And so um, I actually met my wife, Kathy, uh, in 2004. I was volunteering at Harbor House and she was working there and um, we've Got together a couple of years after that. We now have, you know, I, Kathy came with three daughters, so our three stepdaughters, two of them live up in the Fox Cities. Uh, one lives in Madison, and the two who are locally also have two kids each, so we have four grandkids. Um, I love getting outside and playing with them. Any holiday, we, any family holiday we have at our house, um, right after dinner, right after dishes, we're out at the playground or we're throwing around a football. Uh, really love the outdoors. Um, I'm also transgender, so uh, a few years back, I'm in my mid-50s, a few years back in my late 40s, early 50s, I started transitioning. Um, I identify as queer. I use he or they, he, she pronouns. You know, sometimes if I have more specific, if people are looking for more specificity, especially on a survey or something, I'll say gender nonconforming, transmasculine, uh, gender fluid, non-binary, all those kind of, you know, fit. I feel pretty fluid in my gender. We are talking about inclusion in the outdoors, and you mentioned you love getting outdoors. Um, what do you most like to do outdoors? I am a very regular walker. doesn't matter what weather. I'll get bundled up, um, you know, from the high 90s to the 40 belows. I'm out <laughs> walking. I'm one of those people in the neighborhood. Love to get out to our local parks. I live, you know, about a mile from Peabody Park. Love getting down by the river. Um, like doing that alone or with family, um, you know, my partner is, Kathy is, um, she's got two autoimmune diseases. So sometimes her mobility isn't um, where it's, you know, especially these days, she's had MS for over 15 years. And so she's progressed into secondary progressive MS. And so she now uses a mobility scooter or a cane. So that has changed the way we uh, spend time together outdoors. Um, love getting out on hikes, uh, and snowshoeing, looking forward to snowshoeing, love getting out to, you know, high cliff or kettle moraine. Yeah. Love to bike. I bicycle to work occasionally. I'm not, I'm not, I'm a fair weathered biker. <laughs> <laughs> don't really love this weather, but, uh, in the warmer weather, I don't do it in the rain. Don't do it in the snow, <laughs> uh, but love to get out. Even though it's a five mile ride now that the library's down on the southeast side of town, I'll still get out. Love the protected bike lanes we have here in Appleton. I'm really grateful for what we have and really excited for what's to come, especially as the north neighborhood downtown is going to be revitalized. That always means more accessibility, whether it's in a bike lane or on a scooter. 
When you think about the outdoors in the Fox Cities area, do you feel welcomed and included when you're outdoors in the Fox Cities? You know, I have mixed feelings about that. By and large, I really do. But there have been, in especially as I've transitioned and I've presented more masculine, I've um, been on the receiving end of a lot of hate words, you know, hateful words. So verbal aggression, um, derogatory terms yelled at me with, you know, somebody driving by in a pickup truck, pointing their gun, their hand like a gun at me saying, die. And, um, you know, things, people up in my face asking me if I'm an effing man or woman, you know, so there are times like that where I obviously don't feel safe. Now, that's not, you know, 90% of the time I really do. It's just that I never know when I'm going to encounter somebody, you know, who steps over the line so far with aggression that I just don't know what they're next, where they're going to stop. Um, and then there are microaggressions occasionally where somebody asks me, is that for your real name? <laughs> you know, and of course it is. That's the name I go by. Um, I'm also fortunate enough it's my legal name, so I don't get it, you know, asked or challenged as much. I have a lot of privilege that way. Um, but there are times, you know, when, you know, or people are visually checking me out to see are they a man or woman. They're just confused. And for somebody to be looking me up and down, chest to groin, to try and get a read on what I am in their mind or who I am, um, that can be very off-putting. And so I don't feel welcome or safe. I feel more like a pariah or, you know, somebody who's different or deviant. How have some of those experiences where you, you don't know how far someone might go, how has that impacted maybe if you want to get outdoors or not, or where you might go? Has it changed how you participate outdoors or no? Absolutely. I mean, one very specific time was um, I used to walk down by Peabody Park and then cut through the park and get up to the Pacific Street Bridge. I never do that anymore because at one point there were uh, two teenage boys who were giving me a hard time yelling derogatory terms. And I thought, oh my gosh, this could be the time they, they get me, you know, but they didn't. I was really fortunate, but it, you know, it's changed, you know, my path, so to speak. Similar to how a lot of women don't go in a parking ramp alone at night, right? I mean, this is, this is not just isolated to LGBT people. Um, but it's definitely changed since I've, I've noticed a marked change since, um, I'm presenting more masculine now or presenting more gender queer now. I mean, I, I think most people read me as queer because of my size, even though I may be, you know, I have facial hair and a short haircut, things like that. So it's it's changed my path. Um, so I just make sure I stay well lit, you know, travel paths where I have easy access to people I know are safe. You know, if I'm in a safe neighborhood that have signs or rainbow flags, it just tells me that's a safe place to go if, I, some, if somebody's giving me a hard time. We've been working on this inclusion in the outdoors initiative, and you've played a role in that. What was your involvement in inclusion in the outdoors? Well, I co-facilitated with Kyle. Um, Kyle invited me. Uh, I was, you know, again, a volunteer at Diverse and Resilient. I've volunteered there since they began. Um, and just mostly Kyle led the discussion, and I was taking notes on a big board and um, asking questions to clarify uh, and, you know, get more clarity and specificity around what people really meant when they said things. So, you know, when we were co-facilitating that focus group at Diverse and Resilient, um, what did you take away from that experience? Did you hear anything that surprised you or, or that you expected to hear? Both. You know, I think, you know, in terms of expected to hear, that personal safety is always a factor for especially trans people. I would say everyone in the LGBTQIA plus community, but especially trans people, um, in large part because of that aggression I talked about earlier. Um, I was surprised to hear how many people carry weapons with them. I don't personally carry a weapon. 
Um, that surprised me. And yet for self-defense, I could understand it. It was also a very white group. We were all white. And so it, you know, it really felt like we were getting one perspective. It was a very able-bodied group. There was, you know, one person who maybe is, you know, in their mid fifties like me and (laughs) starting to slow down a little bit. Um, but that really stood out, you know, it's, it's just another example of how the LGBTQIA plus community is a very diverse group of people, even though we're, you know, one niche in terms of gender identity, identity and sexuality. So that, that stood out. I also, there was a lot of queer joy there too. And that felt fun. It felt for me, it felt, um, you know, when queer people are leading a group, when you have representation of the leaders, the facilitators, I think people let down their guard, let set off, you know, take off their armor and are just more open and free. And I felt that, you know, come through strong. What do you think could be done to make our outdoor spaces more welcoming and inclusive for LGBTQIA plus folks? Well, I think in general, you know, continuing to educate people and uh, really encourage people to learn and grow around queerness, so around pronouns and why they matter. I mean, if you just Google, why do pronouns matter? You can learn a lot right out there. And continuing to um, encourage groups to identify that even if they're a women-only group or a men's-only group, that they're also welcoming of, you know, trans mask or non-binary or trans femme folks, you know. So just those small little disclaimers help us understand that we're welcome in a group, a more social group. Um, you know, so like Meetup, for example, might have, you know, gender segregated groups. I never know where I belong there. I feel, you know, I can, I feel personally like fluid in both and yet I also feel sometimes I'm not welcome in both. And so specifying, you know, whether they are. I also think we need to really invest in more diverse voices. So within the queer community, investing in, you know, how are black people not feeling welcome? How are indigenous people, other cultural groups, you know, immigrants, things like that? Um, what are some of the barriers that they're experiencing? I can imagine personal safety is always top for them, but there are probably others as well that I don't experience as a white person. And so I think that's, uh, you know, continuing to have these conversations in more d- diverse groups and really investing in them. Don't just expect that, you know, as a white person, if I ask some a black person to participate, they're going to want to do it, um, you know, getting, paying them for their time. Um, also creating, sometimes creating space for them to do that if they don't have it. Are there ways that you see the Fox Cities could be um, more inclusive from an accessibility standpoint as well? Well, I again, going back to that North Neighborhood revitalization, I'm so excited about that because I think anytime we update things, um, ADA accessibility is a factor. It's considered now, whereas it wasn't, you know, 50 years ago or whenever the last time it was updated. So I think continuing to revitalize parts of our community, you know, and create accessibility options, whether it's, you know, ramps down into parks that are difficult to get to, you know, not not assuming people can take the stairs. Creating benches in shady spots or picnic tables in shady spots is very helpful. Um, so you can take a load off. We're lucky, you know, in Peabody Park, we can enter in the access road and get under the bridge there. There's also lots of trees. If Kathy's able to get off the her scooter and sit under a tree, that's great, you know, things like that. The cemeteries, you know, Riverside and St. Joe's are amazing. They're, we live fairly close to that. So um, those are great spots. You know, try to emulate what they've already got going on. What would make you personally want to get outdoors more or make you feel safer and more willing to to get into outdoor spaces? 
Um, you know, on my own, it's difficult to say, but in terms of social groups, again, it's it's really them letting me know that I'm welcome in various ways. <clears throat> doesn't need to be a personal invitation, but if I can see that for, you know, various clues, you know, where I'm always a, a red flag hunter, I'm looking for, you know, am I not going to be welcome there? Am I safe there? And so putting clues in a description of who is your group, who's welcome, who, who who joins, pictures that are inclusive sometimes, and of actual, the, the members, not just, you know, some stock images or whatever. You know, I was looking for a martial arts academy a couple of years ago, and when I see an all-men's space, I don't have a, a warm, fuzzy feeling, and I know that may be some of my own, non you know, internal biases. Maybe they are. Um, but when I see, you know, more genders represented in the picture, then I'm like, okay, they might have space for me there. So there's there's clues sharing who they are and, and who is welcome there is very helpful. I think this is a big takeaway for us and for our listeners that might not have to do that kind of safety planning and safety checking before they go somewhere. They might say, I want to go out to this park today. I want to get out. And they can just go and not necessarily have to take those steps to look for those red flags and look for those visible signs or wording that, that indicates they're safe. I feel like that's a really big takeaway, I know, personally for me. Thanks for hearing me. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing so much, Zephyr. Is there anything that you think we missed today or anything else that you'd like to add? No, I really appreciate this opportunity. I think you did a great job coming up with questions and even just having this as a podcast. So thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. It's the last half of the school year. That means it's scholarship application time. The Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region has more than $1 million in scholarships available to high school seniors, college, and non-traditional students. The money comes from scholarship funds created by people, businesses, and organizations who are passionate about education. Applications are open right now. Deadlines begin mid-February. Visit cffoxvalley.org scholarships to learn more. So, Kyle, we're gaining a better understanding of the opportunity to fully include everyone in the outdoors. But can you share with us one example of something positive that's already happening to shift the narrative and maybe one example of something new that we could come together on? One of the positive examples that I saw was the Heckrot Wetland Reserve. And over the last decade, they've made a concerted effort to make their boardwalk in their wetlands ADA accessible for people with disabilities. And now they're working with the Menasha School District to find ways to include bilingual programming for Hispanic students. Um, and I think that that's a great way to make uh, our Latinx and Hispanic folks feel more welcomed in these spaces. And that leads me to one of my suggestions, which was based on something that I heard from many people, many members of these marginalized groups. And that's that they feel safest and most comfortable in the presence of other people who identify like they do. Uh, for example, several black youth said that they will really only go out and play if there are other black people out there. And so I want to encourage targeted programming for a single group, what we would call affinity groups. Have facilities invite a group of black youth or a group of transgender folks out to a natural space and work with their leaders to provide a positive experience. One program providing opportunities like that is STAR, Students on Target to Achieve Results, and that's a program of the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Fox Valley. 
we met up with Denitra Williams, star assistant director at Appleton North High School. She helped facilitate one of the focus groups for black youth at the club. And here's our conversation with her. Welcome, Denitra, to the podcast. We're so thrilled that you're here with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm a community member, a mother, a wife. Um, I work for the Boys and Girls Club Star Program. So I'm a person who likes to get outside. Although not so much as I get a little older, you know, (laughs) not as much as I used to. It's like, "Mm, can my body take that still? (laughs) But... Overall, um, I'm a person who cares about making sure spaces feel equitable for all. Well, you mentioned that you'd like to get outdoors, Denitra, and so I'd love to hear what are some of your favorite things to do outdoors? I like to do a lot of things. I, You will notice from what's to follow that I'm more of a warm weather outdoors <laughs> kind of chick. I'm not one of those ice fishers and bobsledding. Snowshoeing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not doing none of that. No, 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 no. I mean, I have. Don't get me wrong. You know, for the experience of it, being born and raised in California, you know, having this whole, you know, snow experience is different. I've tried it all, but I really couldn't get into it. It's just too cold. <laughs> um, so I'm more of a, I like to do snorkeling, jet skiing, sailing. Of course, swimming who doesn't like to swim spelunking canoeing hiking so when you think about participating in the outdoors here in the fox cities do you feel welcomed and included when you're outdoors in the fox cities i am not a person that i i feel i since you asked about me (laughs) i feel a sense of belonging in the fox cities but i am also acutely aware that many people of color and many folks who identify as a one of those demographics that's more um not that many of them here um do not but i'm not one of those people that feel that way i feel comfortable um we haven't been doing it so much and most more recent years when my daughter was younger, she really liked the outdoors a lot. And so we spent a lot of time. She was a huge bug catcher. So we spent a lot of time at Bulbas and Heckrod and going over there to explore the trails. And she come with her little bug catching nets in her little bug jar and bug house. And, you know, it was just like an, a whole ordeal. And I can't even remember when she outgrew that. Frankly, I was quite relieved because I'm not into the bugs. <laughs> and I, it was very difficult putting on that mommy smile of excitement that you're excited, really like, ah, but don't come near me. <laughs> How old is your daughter now? She's 12 now. Okay. So we've been working on this Inclusion in the Outdoors initiative. Uh, what was your role in that project? A couple of things. So there was the whole focus group. So... Tell us about the youth group that you co-facilitated. Yep, there was that piece. Um, that was interesting. Uh, I was I didn't know what to expect because it was supposed to be centered around outdoor spaces. They covered a lot of things that wasn't about outdoor spaces, and so I had to specifically like circle back to some of the questions and say, okay, and give some examples. So when we think about things like such and such and such and such, what comes to mind? Um, they wanted to talk a lot about um, feelings of oppression and racism 
and spaces that they occupy um, in school, out of school, in their neighborhood, um, feeling a lack of comfort with going outside because they felt like they didn't belong and they were getting the quote unquote looks, um, things of that nature. And for our listeners, this was a, a focus group of black and brown young folks, high schoolers? Teenagers. Teenagers. Gotcha. Yeah. Did any of them describe positive experiences in the outdoors? Mm-mm. I do not recall one having a positive experience. What do you think could be done to make outdoor spaces in the Fox Cities more welcoming and inclusive for black and brown folks? I think it's really more about making sure they're aware that those options are there. I think so often people are just not in the know because I'm not from out here and I have my little one. I wanted to make sure I'm, I'm, listen, I, I like to do other things with my money than waste it on if there's, if there's a free opportunity, hence the trails, <laughs> why would I pay money? to do a trail that's free over here. So I'm very much more about wanting to get familiar with my community, wanting to get to know some of the resources that were around me that we can take advantage of, and wanting to get my daughters, my daughter outside. So for me as a parent, we did a lot of stuff outside because I just, I didn't want to be stuck in the house. You know, I don't want my daughter stuck in the house. I want her to explore different things, just the same way that we take her to plays and musical performances and get that exposure into the arts and various different things, just so that she'd have more experiences that she can reflect on. Um, so I am intentional about knowing what's available and what's around me, but I have since learned in the last couple of years that many folks don't. People who just moved here or even was born and raised here, they're unfamiliar about some of the resources that are available here. And so over the years, as I listen to people complain about the Fox Cities not having this and not having that, I'm like, actually, we do. I think you just don't know about it. Um, so that's something that I'm noticing. But as it pertains to being more culturally aware, one thing that I know would be helpful is if stuff what if there was access to some of some of the like if we had a jet ski rental, for example, mm-hmm. you know, like I haven't seen that. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen snowshoe rental. I haven't seen, you know. Something like that where people don't have to spend their money because a jet ski, if you catch it on sale, is seven, eight hundred dollars. But if it's not, it can be as much as two grand. Many people don't have two grand just lying around. And then who's going to just want one? And you out there by yourself, you got to <laughs> buy at least two when you're buying it. Who's got four grand just lying around just to be able to use for two months? Because we know we don't have very long summers. So most people are not going to invest that amount of money into enjoy something like jet skiing or sailing or something like that because not everyone lives off of, off of a dock. Where are they going to store it? So it's not that I think that people of color aren't interested in those activities. It's just a matter of what am I supposed to do with a snorkeling set when it's not summer? And I think that's the real barrier, not having those rentals. But if we had a mountain bike for $10 to rent, you know, I'm sure many folks would be out there hitting the trails, enjoying it um, if they had that option available. Um, but I, I think that a centralized location, um, a resource guide where people can be able to find exactly what's available 
marketing of those spaces. You know, yes, creating the literature so people know where to go and what's available, but then making them available at spaces where folks of color occupy those spaces so they can be able to know that it's there. It's great to have a resource available online, but what about those who don't speak English so they don't know how to type it up or those who don't have a fancy iPhone <laughs> and, and things of that nature, you know, how are they supposed to find that information? So, you know, gathering that information and then making it available where um, folks congregate would be helpful so they can easily access the information to then access said areas. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on trusted sources or locations where that information should be? I mean, I, I'm thinking of particular organizations. And mm-hmm. as a black woman, I can only think of, not I can only, but immediately what comes to mind are um, organizations that support the black community. So I'm thinking of like African Heritage Inc., of course, People of Progression, Love in the Skin of Men, things like that. Those are great suggestions. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Denitra. It's been a wonderful conversation, and you bring a wealth of knowledge to the table. Well, thank you so much for having me. Wow, Kyle, we were so lucky to have Zephyr and Denitra share so openly with us, and I just want to give a shout-out and a thank you to both of them. Briefly, can you tell our listeners what's next for the Inclusion in the Outdoors initiative and, and how they can get involved if they're interested? Well, I will be continuing to lead the project through this year, um, and I'm really looking for ways to move from the data that I've gathered into action and ways that we can positively impact the community and make things more inclusive, more welcoming for the folks who I've been talking to. Um, and if you're interested in learning more, um, you can visit our Inclusion in the Outdoors page on the Community Foundation's website. And we've got a link to that in the notes. Well, that's going to wrap up our program today. We hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe to this podcast and get all of our episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to audio. Like I said, we've got links to all of the resources we talked about today, and you can find them by going to cffoxvalley.org backslash podcasts and looking for this episode titled Inclusion in the Outdoors. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. Mm -hmm.